0: Follow us by hitting the follow button and subscribe so that you can hear all this important information that pertains to life and the future. Thanks. Hello and welcome back. I am going to be uploading some stuff in regards to paganism and uh, the days that we are um, dealing with right now, which is um, December 25th. The scriptures say that this day is a pagan holiday, and it doesn't say it like that, but let he who has an ear hear what the book is saying. I'm gonna read some scriptures, and then I'm gonna upload a pagan that is telling you that December 25th is a pagan holiday. They're telling you that it's a witch that's telling you this. Um, hold on for this this uh, video, but I'm going to read the scripture now, and it says, "This is from Jeremiah 10: 1 through 6." Hear the word which the Most High speaks unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Most High, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, meaning the heavens, the firmament, the skies, where the devils are. For the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vain, for One cuts down a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with an axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. For so much as there is none like unto thee, O Most High, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Now, what did I just say? I basically told you that the Most High said, don't be like the heathen and put Christmas trees up. Now, I read from the King James Version. But I'm going to read from the um, ESV, which is the English Standard Version. And it says, hear ye the word of the Most High, speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Um, Says the Most High, don't lean in the way of the heathen, and don't be dismayed at the signs of the heavens. For the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For they cut down a tree in the forest, the work of the hands of the... Workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold and they fasten it with nails and hammers so that it doesn't move. They are upright as the palm tree, but it speaks not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. It's talking about pagan holidays, okay? Now, the Most High inspires the word of the prophet and the scribes, so that they can write down in code, I already told you metaphors and similes, to let you know that these holidays are pagan. I say that to say, you need to wake up. Let he who has an ear hear what the Ruach is saying. Wake up and come out of her, my people. Now listen to the uh, video. Thank you for listening. Copyright disclaimer under section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Copyright disclaimer under section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976. Allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use. Is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use.
1: and welcome to another witch vlog. Today I'm finally announcing my hashtag 21 days till yule. So this time of the year has always been a very exciting one for me, filled with many traditions that are still very strong in southern Germany, especially the ones around advent and the ones around the 12 days of Christmas. And overall it's just this magical time of candlelight, cinnamon, spiced apples, and cold winter walks. And I very, very, very much love December. Of course this year will be very very different for all of us because many of us will be spending Christmas alone or away from their family and with that prospect looming you might not be feeling in the mood to celebrate Yule or Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating and you might just think like what's the point the entire preparation and to-do but actually this time of the year also brings wonderful opportunities for self-development, self-care, new goals, new ambitions, and just introspective and reflection. So I decided I won't let anyone be the Grinch and I will try my best to spread some positivity and joy to all of you. So I will be posting a video or an Instagram post for 21 days until the winter solstice, until Yule, that hopefully will cheer you up and bring you some joy. The topics that I picked for you vary greatly. I do have some traditional Christmas and Yule bakery. I do have a couple of videos with stories about the pagan traditions and pagan customs and roots of Christmas. I do have vlogs where I just take you along through my personal preparations. I will tell you a little bit more about the Raunechte, which are the 12 days of Christmas in southern Germany, which are filled with so many cool witchy things, traditions and customs. I also have a couple of hacks for how to spend the holidays alone, ideas for witchy gifts or ideas for gifts on a budget. And I just hope that it will bring you joy, tranquility and a little bit of peace in this crazy time. If you're familiar with the advent calendar it will be that in a virtual form but it will be a new calendar if you are a viewer don't forget to subscribe and make sure to hit that bell notification button and enable all notifications for my channel otherwise you won't get all the videos and if you really don't want to miss any of the days you can also follow me over on Instagram my link to that is in the description and make sure you are completely immersed in <laughs> the full experience if you're a content creator if you want to use that hashtag please do if you want to spread some joy let me know i will tag your videos under mine so other people can find them that was my announcement for now but now let's see what this first day will bring Still very early in the morning, (laughs) but we better get a move on, and it has not snowed yet, but it's really nice and frosty outside, so I'm gonna take you along on a little winter walk through the forest. So we just came back from our winter morning walk, and it was... It was quite cold, and the sky since days is looking like a grey heavy blanket that just won't go away and won't open up. And it's obviously also pressing on the mood a little bit. It just sucks. All the energy out of you when the weather for such a long time is so depressing. So, I thought before we start our decoration madness, we are going to do a little bit of kitchen witchery and I will prepare a simmer pot. A simmer pot is basically a mixture of fragrant fruit and plants and herbs and spices that you then mix with a little bit of water and as the name suggests, you let it simmer. All the scent gets free and it just fills your house with like a lovely warming scent. And obviously you can here work with a lot of magical ingredients too and put a certain intention into it. So now I wanna share my personal favorite wintry simmer pot recipe with you. That is made to brighten your mood, give you a new boost of energy and just in general make your house smell amazing. When you make this at home you can like put a pan on your stovetop but if you want to save energy you can also set it on a little richeau or on a little um, tea warmer with a couple of candles underneath which has a double benefit of also giving off a warm and nice light and you can place it just wherever. Okay, let's get to the kitchen, let's get started. Huh? Is it fussy? Yeah, fussy. Okay. oh fussy. Alright, All right. Oh. sorry. by the way I've had babies not everywhere. <laughs> We're both a little bit sick, so But I also didn't have time to change, so it is what it is. Now that made the house smell divine. And we used our newfound energy that it gave us to bake a couple of Christmas cookies and I won't show you because that's material for another video And now it is time for my favorite thing decorating for your decorating for Christmas Fryer... pepper... stop it! And usually I do try to use only natural materials to decorate but with this time of the year I just have so much Heirlooms and just stuff that I bought years ago. So I gotta go full on out I gotta decorate with everything. We found a couple of really cool branches and moss in the woods But it still needs to you know air out to to give all the little bugs the chance to But our tree also just arrived that we got fresh out of the forest And now we can really start to hang it. And I wanted to take that chance to tell you a little bit more about the traditions of the Christmas tree. Because there seems to be a lot of confusion and very um, lovely but (laughs) probably not quite correct stories out there. So the Christmas tree originally comes out of German tradition. Back in pagan times, even before Christmas was really a thing, people here celebrated Yule. And I celebrated Raunechte, which I'll tell you about more. It's the Yuletide or 12 days of Christmas, which are filled with Oracle and magic and traditions and all kinds of um, lovely things. And for this time of the year, people would... And for this time of the year, people would bring fear branches into their homes and that in the 14th century actually developed in the first real tree. Like it's documented that a guy from Bremen brought the first Christmas tree into his house and that tradition didn't really get popular until Queen Victoria the first of uh, Great Britain married a German dude and he made that a tradition there and from there it spread and now we have it all over the world <laughs> The traditions in Bavaria actually very much coincide with what probably the pagans would have done because we don't decorate the tree until the 24th of December. People here leave the tree up until the 2nd of February traditionally, which is Bridget's Day and that also coincides with Imbolc. However, I really, really, really love the twinkle lights in this time of the year, so I always decorate early. My lovelies, babies in bed. Cheers. And everything is decorated, looking festive, and I just love the entire atmosphere in the house now. And now I have a little moment to sit down and relax and do something just for myself. <laughs> and I wanted to spend this evening doing a little spell project because some of you that I talk to on my Patreon and on Instagram now that my partner is currently in Spain since a couple of weeks and he will probably have to stay there due to the situation until February or March (laughs) so I'm solo parenting at the moment and he as well as his mom and my mom all work in healthcare or like in fields related in contact with a lot of sick people so obviously with the cases rising in Spain and also in Germany I am worried and it just gives me a little bit of anxiety to, to know the risks. So I wanted to do a healing spell today and I thought I would want something that is also themed with a season. So I decided to do an enchanted Pomander Ball. If you don't know what that is, a Pomander was a device used in the late middle ages. That was basically a little pendant on a chain or on a necklace, and it was filled with fragrant herbs and scents, and people would wear that, thinking that the pleasant scent would repel any sickness. Obviously it didn't <laughs> that's not how it works, but that then developed into what we now in some countries have traditionally for the holidays, like an orange that's studded with cloves if you ever saw that. And it's very pleasant smelling and actually you can really easily make that into a spell and I'll show you in just a second how I did it. So I chose to tie it with a green ribbon because green for me symbolizes health and the orange is actually quite helpful because the scent is just very cheery. The magical properties that are connected to orange are also all around joy and love. And I just feel whenever then I look at that enchanted spell bowl or I smell it, it will calm my anxiety as well. And then I'll start it with the cloves, and cloves are actually said to offer protection and to bring healing. So I think in general it's a very very cool object to hang in your house and just have there. And I will tie and not for each of the people that I want to include in that spell, that I tie the ribbon around it and just hope that it will bring protection and healing to all my loved ones and myself. Okay, let's get bitchin'. And that was it for today. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you very much for following along and I will see you tomorrow for the second day of the hashtag 21 days till Yule, either here on YouTube or over on Instagram. Good night!
2: While most ethnic Europeans now celebrate Christmas in one form or another, either according to the Julian or Gregorian date, the origins of most elements of the Christmas celebration do not have their origin in Christianity. Flying reindeer and elves are hardly Christian after all, but even the date may not be of Christian origin. While we should be aware that much related to modern Christmas was carefully crafted and marketed within the modern era in order to create a more secular and increasingly commercialized event. There most certainly were celebrations held around midwinter throughout Europe, long before the Christian religion existed, in a time when European peoples worshipped their own gods and held their own myths and histories and the celebrations that accompanied them. We are going to take a look at some of these traditions, From the frigid temperatures of Novgorod, Russia, to the western isles of Scotland, we will unwrap clues that may just gift us with greater insight into the customs of our ancient past and our Christmas before Christ. Hi friends, I'm Kevin McLean. If you'd like to support the channel and be part of a great community, come join me on my Patreon channel. You can also support me through PayPal. Much thanks to all of my supporters. Before delving into the myths of various European customs around Christmas time, it should be noted that the dating of Christmas was not the dating as held in the ancient or medieval past. The date according to the calendar was always December 25th. But when the Julian calendar was changed for the Gregorian calendar, the old December 25th became the new January 7th. The Eastern Orthodox still celebrate dates according to the Julian calendar, but it no longer matches with the solstice period due to a flaw in with the original calendar, which has the days slowly drifting from the solar year. Various local Christmas traditions, some of which continue, will take place anywhere between December 24th and January 7th, due to the change in the calendar and some traditions locally, either sticking with the old days or going with the new days eclectically. In the Slavic traditions of Eastern and Central Europe, Christmas is sometimes referred to as Korochin, thought to have originally taken place around Christmas Eve, or sometimes referring to Christmas itself. The customs surrounding it have now largely been absorbed into various Christmas traditions. Korochin, Kratčin in Slovak is thought to mean to make a step or to step forward. The most probable meaning of this is in reference to the changing of the year, and very likely the solar cycle. The 25th of December is not the solstice, but it's the first day in which the Sun begins to move again towards the Northern Hemisphere, taking the first step. The first step of the year, the first sign of the coming spring, the first step of the renewed world, and likely the cosmic beginning. The first known mention of it is in the Chronicle of Novgorod, one of the earliest Slavic written sources. And the name is used to refer specifically to the winter solstice. The same text also mentions the founding of the church of St. Nicholas in Novgorod in AD 1113, a Greek Christian saint, who would go on to form the basis of the modern English Santa Claus? However, the Slavs also have their own seemingly non-Christian figure, Diet Moros, Father Frost, who secretly delivers presents beneath the New Year's tree. Korochin is also referred to as Kolyada. This word has a Latin origin, Kalends, referring to the New Year. Part of the traditional custom involved dressing up in masks and costumes, going door to door, singing carols, with the original purpose to embody spirits of the dead ancestors, to drive away bad spirits and spread blessings. Sometimes people receive treats in return. Bonfires are lit and in some cases there is a specific ritual burning of an oak log, in Bulgarian called a budnik. A tree, ideally an oak, is felled on the morning of Christmas Eve and is burnt that night. The log is believed to hold powers of healing and prosperity, and the ashes are kept and spread on fields in the spring to increase crops. Akin to Halloween, the day is also associated with the dead. At least in some places in the past, the location of the Korachin bonfire was a graveyard. The spirits of the ancestors were venerated on the day, with the fire to honor and warm them, and a feast shared with them. Individual fires or candles were lit or placed by the gravesites of ancestors with the general belief that the dead were more easily contacted during this period. The same idea can even be found in the famous Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, about one man's interaction with spirits on Christmas Eve. More common in recent times, however, are visits to grave sites, lighting of candles for the dead, and inviting the dead to share in the meal together at home. This meal had on Christmas Eve was often vegetarian with 12 dishes. This specific custom may be of Christian origin, though it's hard to say. Physical cleansing is also very important to undertake, as it's sought to purify and help bring luck and good health in the new year, likely tied to earlier pagan purification rituals, which nearly always involve washing. The idea that ancient Europeans were extremely dirty is just wrong. While we know Roman and Greek bathing traditions, we also have an account of Slavic bathing traditions, where the Christians say, I saw the land of the Slavs, and while I was among them, I noticed their wooden bathhouses. They warm them to extreme heat, then undress, and after anointing themselves with an acid liquid, they take young branches and lash their bodies. They actually lash themselves so violently that they barely escape alive. Then they drench themselves with cold water and are thus revived, and they think nothing of doing this every day. In fact, many Slavic cultures today are still known for their hot bathing houses, with middle-class homes often having one as a separate structure. It is also possible that the lashing with branches may have been part of a purification ritual, with certain types of branches having certain purifying properties. Such ritual cleansing was part of the original Slavic korochin traditions. The Baltic people Anciently linked to the Slavs have similar customs with similar names. The Lithuanians call Christmas Eve Kūčios and Christmas Day Kaledos, cognate with the Slavic Koliida. On Kūčios, a vegetarian meal is had with 12 dishes, and traditionally, deceased relatives are given a special place at the table. Many times, the table was not cleaned away as it was believed that the dead came to eat once the household was asleep. Hay was also spread upon the table beneath a white tablecloth, from which lots are drawn by randomly pulling a piece out from underneath. In some cases, the meal is referred to as the Feast of Adam and Eve, and it's said to symbolize the fall of humanity. Apples are served and cut up and distributed first to the husband by the wife. There is nothing biblical about this tradition, but apples were an important symbol in ancient European paganism. So much so that the idea that Adam even ate an apple and not a fig or some other Middle Eastern fruit seems to be of European pagan origin. A special log was also cut down and burnt upon the fire. Sometimes the log would be dragged through the local area, and people sang carols and dressed with masks or costumes. At the end, the log would be burned in a festive fire. They also have a local version of St. Nicholas called Senes Shaltis, which in Lithuanian means old man cold, or he is alternatively known as Kaledu Senelis, which means old man of Kalens. This gives us a glimpse into what might have been the original figure behind Santa Claus. As in every other case, he distributes gifts to good children, but only if they perform some art or skill for him, be it singing, dancing, reciting poetry. There are similarities to be found in the Welsh tradition of Christmas. The Bonkif Nadolig, the Christmas log, is very similar to the Yule log. A special log was marked out and set aside for burning on Christmas Eve, or sometimes to be burnt over a period of several days. Processions go out with a horse skull and knock on doors. This Varijliwit, or Mary Lewid, is the Grey Mare, thought to bring good luck. A rhyming poetry battle takes place between the horse and and the person whose door it approached, the horse seeking entry and the homeowner seeking to deny entry, all in good spirit. If the owner relents, the Marylewyd and its accompanying procession of men would be invited in for a drink and snacks. The exact custom may have been influenced by English traditions, and it's part of the overall wassailing custom, ultimately of English origin. There are also traditions of going door to door, either in masks or with totems, requesting treats. The entire celebration is tied predominantly to the idea of the New Year, and it's possible that traditions originally set for the period of Samhain were changed to match with Christmas. However, it's also possible that the timing of these types of celebrations simply differed between Gael's and Brythonic people, the later being in more close connection to mainland Celts. In the earliest Welsh myths, it is the time of New Year celebrated on or around the winter solstice which stands out as being the most significant date. The Gaels, on the other hand, considered the year to begin with the onset of winter and the end of the harvest season, as opposed to the solstice. However, there were some traditions which the Gaels celebrated around the time of Christmas. One thing that is generally agreed on in timing between Welsh and Gaelic custom is the killing of the Wren. The Wren is called the King of Birds, not just in Gaelic and Welsh traditions, but this element can be seen at play in folklore across Europe. The exact reasons are beyond this video, but a consistent custom in Ireland, Scotland, and Wales is the Christmas killing of the Wren by a group of young boys who would then lead a procession, either with the dead bird openly displayed or with the bird concealed in a box, which people would give small treats to the Wren boys in order to see. Generally, this was done on December 26th or thereabouts, and it, it undoubtedly had a connection to a pagan solstice ritual. The wren in this case may represent the old year, or the winter season specifically. The bird was one of two important birds for divination, the other being the raven. But according to medieval Gaelic sources, the raven had many positive connotations related to wealth and luck, whereas the wren prognosticated ill fortune most often. Perhaps because it is a bird that came to symbolize winter with its scarcity. The boys that hunted it were probably reprising a mythical role. In Welsh myth, Say strikes a wren with an extremely deft cast, earning him his name. Fe Thau Guthis, Fay of the Skillful Hand. The killing of the wren is also part of Scottish custom, as is the burning of a festive log. But this extends to the Gaelic community as well, which sometimes refer to the log as the Calach, meaning an old woman, but specifically in this context, very likely the old bitter woman of winter, also known as Bera or bierog, linked to winter storms and cold, thought to reside at the height of certain mountains. The log would sometimes be decorated or carved in the likeness of the calach, then burned upon the flames. I don't know if this is explicitly attached to the custom or not, but it's possible to link this to surviving Scottish Gaelic myth. Queen Bera was said to have enslaved Brij, all winter. She sent her to wash a dirty fleece white, but it was an impossible task. One day, an old man approaches her and says he feels sorry for her. He cleans her fleece, making it pure white as snow, then gifts her flowers and tells her to tell Bera that they have begun blooming near the stream. When she asks his name, he reveals that he is called Father Winter whom we can possibly identify as the same in origin as Father Christmas, now used as an alternative name of St. Nicholas. The log in the Gaelic tradition, to some at least, symbolized the burning of the terrible goddess of the dark half of the year in order to bring on the spring. From the Cromwell period until... The 19th century Christmas was effectively banned in Scotland and thus a lot of the customs that became attached to Christmas in other places remained attached instead to New Year's. For Cromwell and other militant Protestants Christmas or Yule as they correctly called it was fundamentally pagan in origin and of course they were right. The Hogmanay celebrations in Scotland otherwise known as New Year's, were originally timed to the winter solstice, rather than the calendrical New Year. Hogmanay has many possible etymological origins, but I believe that the Norse and or Old English origin is the most likely, possibly fused with certain earlier Celtic and Brythonic elements. For some reason, the Old English cultural influence is often overlooked in Scotland even though Scots developed out of Old English. The name Hogmanie is thought to derive from an incantation that calls on elves to banish the trolls, with Hogmanie coming from an earlier Old English Hogman or Icelandic Hogman, meaning Hillman, a term to refer to elves or fairies of the mounds. A Scottish rhyme, spoken on the day, goes, Hogmani Trollole, give us your white bread and none of your grey. Possibly, this is asking the elves to drive the trolls into the sea, with ole meaning to the sea, or a mutated version of away. And this is then linked to the coming prosperity of the land, if the trolls are not there to blemish it. Another English phrase found in a collection of archaisms called Percy's Relics, published in 1765, says, Singe Heve and Holwe, Rombeloe This is a clear indication of recited invocations against trolls, and as Beowulf shows us, Trolls were thought to reside beneath the waters. This ultimately connects to the idea of the Fomorians who were driven away, also on the Gaelic New Year. Banishing trolls may not be most people's idea of a Christmas party, but it may well be linked to something far more ancient than Christmas, something grounded in the very origin of Indo-European mythology. Traditionally, Hogmanie had many of the same themes we have already seen. Mass children going door to door, rhyming and receiving small treats. Many different local fire rituals, burning of the Yule log, and first footing traditions, which invokes the idea of obtaining good luck in the new year, and is very close in meaning to the Slavic name for the day, Korochin meaning to take a step. And of course, the idea of making a lot of noise at the time of the New Year, something still practiced today, likely originates from customs of banging, shouting, and ringing bells in order to drive off the old year and the bad spirits like trolls. In some Gaelic areas, a man would take a bull hide with its horns and go about dressed as a bull, and people would try to beat the hide, the man cow would circle the houses sunwise, banging on them, and getting the people to come out, singing a song about beating the calach, again with the figure of the calach representing the old year and winter. Wassailing and many like activities were once widespread throughout Britain, and derived from Germanic roots. The word comes from either Old Norse or Old English, wesheil, meaning to be in good health. It refers to a toast, a blessing, but it eventually becomes understood as the drink itself, or the cup for the drink, now referred to as the wassailing cup, or it's used to refer to caroling, as people would go door to door, wishing good health upon their neighbours, and sharing a drink together. In the early modern period, people would go out wassailing and be received at the doors of the wealthy who were expected to give small gifts or food and drink in exchange for blessings and perhaps to avoid mischief. The same dynamic is represented in the popular Christmas song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, which depicts the tradition of wassailing with the expectation of receiving figgy pudding in that specific case it is the fact that we see an almost identical tradition across Europe that suggests it indeed was part of an original pre-Christian winter tradition. The idea of giving blessings on the day also connects it to the notion of Scottish hogmany, likely referring to a blessing that drives off evil spirits. There's no doubt that the English people did originally celebrate a pagan festival, On December 25th, the medieval English historian, St. Bede, wrote in the 8th century, They began the year with December 25th, the day we now celebrate as Christmas, and the very night to which we attach special sanctity, the heathens designate Mother's Night, a name bestowed, I suspect, on account of the ceremonies they performed, while watching this night through. From the pen of the venerable Saint Bede himself, is conclusive proof that the English peoples, and by extension likely the Germanic peoples more broadly, celebrated a festival as the new year on December 25th, long before the birth of Christ. We are supposed to think somehow this is by pure coincidence celebrated on the exact same day as Christmas. Rather, this is very powerful evidence to suggest that the dating of Christmas, which was settled very late, and which was not of significant importance in early Christianity, was decided on largely for Machiavellian reasons, that is, to co-opt what may have been their most significant celebrations of the year for many people in Europe. The church decided it would be easier to convert pagans in Europe through a process of co-option and assimilation, gradually leading them away from paganism by reinventing their customs as Christian ones, just as they reinvented ancient holy sites, even taking over pagan temples and turning them into Christian churches, for which we have well-preserved examples in Greece. Even the Parthenon was reconsecrated to the Virgin Mary, and used as a Christian church before the Ottoman conquest. The true origin of Christmas to the English people is, of course, Yule, as it is still alternatively known. The English name Yule isn't a borrowing from the Scandinavian languages, but preserved from Old English Yule, which later became rebranded as Christmas. The name Yule gradually became disused as Christian traditions came to absorb the pagan ones. Yule referred to the celebration, and the whole month in general. Its meaning can be traced at least back to Proto-Germanic, as all Germanic languages share the name. Some have suggested that its Proto-Indo-European stem is yik, referring to a joke or play. Indeed, there are elements of this found in things like wassailing, but the etymology is not certain. It was, however, a very important day, if not the most important day for the Germanic peoples. King Charlemagne is one example of how significant a day it was. Out of all the days that he could have chosen, it was Yule, or Christmas Day, when he chose to be crowned the Holy Roman Emperor. At that time, Christmas was not a significant day to the Christian religion. His reasons were motivated by his ethnic roots. And it isn't a stretch to connect this idea of being crowned king on this day to an earlier pagan mythology of a god-king ushering in the new age and the ordering of the world, killing off the old and unprosperous represented among the Welsh and the Gaels as the Wren. It was the strong influence of more northern European peoples upon the later development of the church that increased the significance of Christmas within Christianity itself, as it worked to absorb different local European traditions like Korochin, Yule, Saturnalia. The process, however, was never finalized. The day never obtained a purely Christian character, and it was always held in suspicion by many devout Christians, some who outright banned it during puritanical uprisings, making it somewhat ironic that at present, many devout Christians zealously guard Christmas as their holiday. The truth is that Yule was celebrated before Christmas, on the same day, and whatever Christian customs or reinterpretations are now associated with it developed from attempts to Christianize what was in origin and what still largely remains a pagan celebration. Bede's account of the English Yule connects it to fertility. This still survives dimly with customs around mistletoe, from accounts given by Roman writer Pliny the Elder, Mistletoe was thought by the Gauls to be connected to fertility, and he recounts a ritual performed by Druids to collect mistletoe without blemishing it. The act of kissing under the mistletoe is likely related to this ancient belief. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the modern customs are a direct result of Druidism. There does not appear, for instance, in Gaelic or Welsh folklore, any particular emphasis upon mistletoe. But in contrast... There is a very specific emphasis on mistletoe in Norse myth, where it has the infamous role in killing the god Baldr, son of Odin. The reason for this is somewhat obscure, but it seems that Odin and the mistletoe were closely connected in some ancient rite, which may have given rise to the ironic story. The Yule custom of mistletoe is likely connected to the ancient Germanic practice, no less than the Celtic one. Yule was not only the name for the celebration, but for many Germanic peoples, it was also the name of a month, corresponding to the second moon of the winter season, which doesn't always line up nicely with modern calendars or the solar new year. But it also appears as a month on the 6th century Gothic calendar in the Norse tale of Hakon the Good. The festival itself was said to last for three days. These several days were, under Christian influence, turned into 12 days of Christmas, referred to as the Epiphany. We find this significance of three days coming up in other Indo-European traditions. The Samhain festival of the Gales was said to last for three days, for instance. In surviving Scandinavian traditions, there are, or at least were, customs similar to wassailing. There does not seem to be a prominent tradition equivalent to the Yule log, however. But there is a Yule goat. It is a figure of a goat fashioned out of the last sheaf of grain from the harvest, a part of the grain that was usually thought to possess some spirit within it. This link between the Yule Festival and the last sheaf of grain from the harvest is also found in the Lithuanian traditions, and the goat is also a feature of some Slavic traditions, where an 11th century accounts as a man-sized goat, was led around by a figure depicting St. Nicholas. Some traditions have a man dressed up as a goat who insists on receiving presents. Some have tried to link this Yule goat to Thor, based on the idea that he owns goats that pulled his wagon, but there appears little evidence to actually connect these two. Of the deities mentioned in our medieval sources linked to Yule, Thor is not among them. There are spirits called Nyssa, or Tamta, linked to the winter solstice, in Swedish and Norwegian folklore. They are in origin akin to English hobgoblins. They are spirits of the home and property, which can be helpful or damaging, even dangerous if offended. Their exact relation to Yule seems to be relatively recent and under the influence of figures like Santa Claus. But in the 19th century at least, they began to be represented as bearing gifts to people alongside the Yule Goat. Food offerings were left for them, as is customary for all household spirits in many traditions. But this has a striking similarity to the custom of leaving milk and cookies out for Santa Claus, and it may be that this specific custom actually derives from the idea of appeasing a household spirit on Yule, and may confirm an original idea that at least part of the tradition of Santa Claus is based on that figure being a type of ghost or spirit. From Old Norse accounts, we know also that oaths were typically sworn at Yule, perhaps continued today in the practice of New Year's resolutions. In the saga of Hervor and Hedrek, it is said, It was Yule Eve, the time for men to make solemn vows at the ceremony of the Bragorful, or chief's cup, as is the custom. Then Arngrim's son made vows. Hjorvard took this oath. He would have the daughter of Ingild, king of the Swedes the girl who was famed through all the land for beauty and skill, or else he would have no other woman. Special oaths were taken upon a boar, referred to as Sonargoltar, which was ritually sacrificed as part of the Yule Feast. This custom features as an impetus for several of the Old Norse sagas. In Helgakvida, Hjörvar Sonar It is this oath to acquire the most beautiful woman as his wife which drives the plot. It describes the process. That evening of Yule Eve the great vows were taken. The sacred boar was brought in. The men laid their hands thereon and took their vows at the king's toast. The boar may connect the tradition to Freyr, who is one of the gods named in association with oaths elsewhere. It also is related to the wider Germanic custom of eating a boar or swine as part of the Christmas meal. We are provided with an account of what one of these ancient festivals might have been like. It was ancient custom that when sacrifice was to be made, all farmers were to come to the heathen temple and bring along with them the food they needed while the feast lasted. At this feast, all were to take part of the drinking of ale. Also, all kinds of livestock were killed in connection with it, horses also, and all the blood from them was called hlaut, and Hlautboli, the vessel holding the blood, and hlautenar, the sacrificial twigs, These were fashioned like sprinklers, and with them were to be smeared all over with blood the pedestals of the idols, and also the walls of the temple within and without, and likewise the men present were to be sprinkled with blood. But the meat of the animal was to be boiled and served as food at the banquet. Fires were to be lighted in the middle of the temple floor, and kettles hung over the fires. The sacrificial beaker was to be borne around the fire, and he who made the feast and was chieftain was to bless the beaker as well as all the sacrificial meat. So in pre-Christian times, great feasts were hosted like this at pagan temples, and local farmers would come with animals to sacrifice to eat, and as was mandatory, drink plenty of ale. Special Yule ale was made for the purpose, something which the English wassailing tradition likely preserves. Drinking was done in honor of the gods. Odin in particular was toasted, but so too were Njordr and Freyr. Freyr's role in the festival signifies its connection to fertility, just as in the English case. But what about Odin? What does he have to do with Yule? There are strong reasons to think that Odin was a primary focus at Yule. One of Odin's names is Yulnir, meaning the Yule One. Myths connect him, perhaps ironically, to the mistletoe responsible for slaying his son. The period is also connected to the dead and to the wild hunt in Germany, England, and Scandinavia. It is a procession of spirits of the dead sometimes called hunters, other times an army. The leader of this host is often identified as Odin or Woden. It was believed that if a person was set upon by this host, laid flat on the ground, Odin would not strike them. This folk belief also connects Odin to lightning, because it was believed that this was how one could avoid being hit by lightning. Yet Odin and his hunt was particularly active around the time of Yule, and numerous folklore accounts attest to this. A local tradition from Sweden said that one should carry a piece of steel and bread with them to church on Yule, in case they came across a rider with a broad-brimmed hat. If they did, they should throw the piece of steel at him and the bread to his dogs. The reason for throwing steel was because he was thought as a spirit or ghost. Iron and steel has warding capabilities against such spirits. Yule is a time when the veil between the world of the living and the dead is thin, which is why those spirits of the wild hunt are more likely to be roaming about the skies. In Norse tales, the Draugr, are especially active around that time and and we have seen that the dead play an important role in various Christmas time folk traditions across Europe. Odin's host is comprised of spirits of those honored dead, just as his palace Valhol is their home until the great Battle of Ragnarok. We see such themes in Welsh myth as well, where the hunt, and the new year serve as a time when men come into contact with gods or spirits. Christmas Eve was referred to as Modra Night, named, he suspected, for the activities that they got up to. This connects it to fertility, specifically human fertility, something we may not at first associate with Odin, but Odin is closely linked to the spirit or soul. The source of life, for it was Odin who gave spirit to the first man and woman. He also lists love spells among the powers which he has to aid people. Odin's breath is the soul of man. It's probably a significant reason why he was equated with Mercury, who is the purveyor of souls, among other things. But the reason why Odin is linked to Yule specifically. Probably has to do with the mythical meaning of the celebration. It symbolizes renewal, the reenactment of the cosmic beginning, and the confirmation of the continued natural order. The sun is a representation of this cycle, just as to move sunwise is to move in the auspicious direction, moving in accord with the cosmos. At the changeover of the year, the old is killed off, and things begin anew. Thus why all is done to dispel the inauspicious to get rid of the old year, and to increase luck and future fertility in the new year. It was Odin and his two brothers who slew the giant Ymir, drowning all the other giants save two beneath the oceans created from Ymir's blood. It was they who fashioned the cosmos from his body. It is therefore Odin who established the ordering of the cosmos, reflected and reaffirmed during the New Year's celebration, whether held according to the solstice or not. This idea is also reflected in the Indo-European-derived Iranian myths around the New Year, associated there with the spring equinox. The Iranian tradition is linked to Jamshed, a figure derived from the god Yama, cognate with Norse Imur, and who plays also an important role in the founding of the world, according to Zoroastrian myth. In Welsh myth, when King Siddh is beset by three great plagues at New Year, it's his brother Saelis who provides unerring knowledge, which allows the king to overcome them. It is also the Gaelic New Year, Samhain, when Lug comes to lead the other gods, slays his grandfather, Balor, and forces the Fomorians beneath the sea. The fastening of Ireland is declared in which order is established and the future flourishing of the harvest is promised. This is accomplished through the intervention of a god, sometimes described as a scowl, meaning a phantom, who leads the riders of the she. Spirits linked to the winds and the dead, who are collected from the grave mounds in order to join his army. Simply put, the Gaelic myth of the Second Battle of Magtaret is ultimately referring to the same order establishing event as described in Norse myth, and shares numerous similarities. In the Gaelic case, we know without a doubt that this myth is closely tied to the celebration of the New Year, and it's very likely its Germanic counterpart was as well. Another tale that reflects this dynamic found in both Gaelic, Welsh, and English sources is the Green Knight. On New Year's, Sir Gawain must cut the head off the Green Knight, but the following year he must receive the blow himself. As I point out in the video I did covering this topic in some detail, Sir Gawain is linked by genealogy to Lugh, possibly as his son. There is a nearly identical tale in Irish, where Cúhullán, the son of Lug, must strike the head from Cúrói, and then receive the strike in turn. Many believe that this is a representation of the changing over of the year. The old year is killed off, replaced by the new, which then must be replaced the following year. The slaying of Shay and his revenge upon Gronu may also reflect this seasonal dynamic, especially as in all three cases there is some connection to trees. We might also see a possible example of this myth in the depiction of Esus from Gaul, striking down the tree with three cranes. The name Gronu, or Gronwi, means crane. Various traditions of rhyming to gain access to a person's home, blessing to drive off bad spirits, one kind figure giving gifts while another mean figure takes, sweeping or scaring off the old year and welcoming the new, the killing of the wren, driving trolls into the sea, are all reflections of this idea of the cosmic renewal that's attached to the annual cycle and the myth of the primordial beginning, the establishment of the order of the gods. This, to my understanding, is the symbolic meaning behind the Indo-European celebrations of the new year, whatever the exact timing that different groups settled on. And it is the original meaning of the Christmas time celebration that exists in much of Europe. This isn't materialistic sun worship. In many cases, the New Year festival was not tied to the sun specifically, but the sun often serves as a symbol of the entire cosmic order. But the question I think that lingers most with people, and which we have no choice but to address, is who is Santa Claus? This figure has become the main symbol of Christmas in modern times. But it certainly was not always so. It also differs from country to country. In many Central and Eastern European countries, the figure of St. Nicholas actually comes around in early December, weeks before Christmas. But there is certainly something that reeks of paganism about St. Nicholas, even in Orthodox Christian countries. The Netherlands is the origin for the English name Santa Claus. Really just means Saint Nicholas. So, Santa Claus is really just an English pronunciation of a Dutch nickname for Saint Nicholas. Now, of course, the Netherlands has become unjustly smeared for their Christmas traditions involving Swarthy Pete. In its origin, the tradition may have had nothing to do with slavery, or even black people. To understand this, we only need to look at nearby countries and their traditions. In Czechia, Mikuláš goes about with a cohort distributing small gifts such as candies to children. However, he travels in the company of a black-faced demon who terrifies the children with threats that if they're not good, he will grab them up in his sack and drag them down to hell. This figure is the same known in Germany as Krampus, also represented by a black-faced person wearing some costume. Now these figures often are also dressed up as demons or monsters, and so it distracts people from the fact that they are wearing blackface, but they generally do also wear blackface. Such a figure also accompanies Saint Nick through parts of the Balkans and elsewhere. Even as far as Iran, there is a figure of Noru's Uncle New Year, who distributes small treats and tells children stories, but travels in the company of a black-faced sidekick who is mean and demands gifts from children. It is very likely that these traditions go back to an original mythology where the black-faced person is intended to represent a dangerous ghost or demon, but one which has been put under the control of the figure that's representing the New Year. The giving figure is the physical representation of the New Year, which is going to be bountiful, This is even represented in the Green Knight, where the knight is obviously an underworld figure with green skin. In the Gaelic example, the challenger is described as hurlish, hideous, he's a giant with skin like bark. It's possible that these local figures who personify winter and the new year represent the same dynamic the gift giving is part of the ritual to ensure good fortune in the coming year the american santa claus is ultimately a fusional figure who combines different local european elements figures myths associated with the holiday period some elements were simply manufactured and others might have more ancient roots for instance Elves are spirits and were sometimes connected to the tradition of the wild hunt. Authentic traditions from most of Europe do not feature St. Nicholas pulled by reindeer, but sometimes he does ride horseback through the sky. Father Christmas, another figure who is fused into Santa Claus, is sometimes depicted riding a Yule goat. Santa Claus is not likely to have been derived directly from Odin. Though it's possible that he has picked up some elements of the Wild Hunt, or other local traditions. However, the idea of Father Christmas, perhaps originally Father Yule, is genuinely ancient. Given the amount of overlap in themes and the number of different but similar features found in most of Europe, he is the personification of the spirit of the season and the festival itself end of the new year to come. This idea is even present and is in fact the foundation of the story of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. He encounters the spirit of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas yet to come. And they take him on a journey back in time and to see what's going on now and to see what will happen in the future. These ghosts of Christmas are a kind of triplified version of a more traditional idea of what this figure of Father Christmas really is. Now, not everything in A Christmas Carol is authentic Yule traditions, but the expression of this idea of the ghost of Christmas is much closer to the idea of what and how people in the past would have thought about this figure and it even sort of correctly represents how the figure acts upon a person because the ghost causes ebenezer scrooge to think and feel certain ways which then changes his behavior and causes him to be the one to give which is really what the idea of santa claus causes people to do even today. We have very many traditions across Europe linked directly to this figure, and generally they call him Father Christmas, Grandfather Frost, Old Man Cold, and we should accept that this is actually his identity. And of course, he is very real. We all have an idea about what he is like, he can influence how we think, what we do, How we act? Father Christmas is first attested in English in 1435, but almost certainly he existed before even this, likely going back to a pagan deity of the Yule season. In Russian folklore, Father Frost, the King of Winter, gives gifts to the good, but punishes the wicked. All the pine and the fir trees are said to be his possessions. Father Christmas represents the custom and traditions of the time he governs over, but at the same time promotes the continuation of those things through his identity. Anyone who has told a child about him, or who has put on a costume and role played this, has engaged in his manifestation. So Christmas is really pagan santa claus is real and no reindeer don't really fly but spirit horses do so let's continue to dig deep into our roots and manifest the spirit of yule the spirit of the new year and the wonderful winter season that kids love and so many adults pretend to hate if you found this video interesting please like subscribe and consider supporting me on patreon we're sending a donation through PayPal. Thank you all for listening. And as always, stand tall.
0: Hi. Trying to contact me regarding a question, comment, or concern? Well, you got two ways of doing so. The first way is email me at cliffnote q at yahoo.com I'll say it again this is one word cliffnote the letter Q the letter N the letter A at yahoo.com the second way is you can upload a question concern or comment on Spotify the question section appears under the episode's description on Spotify. Send me your question and I'll definitely answer it. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. It's good to hear the word of truth from the Most High, but you know what's better? Hitting that follow button and hitting the small bell next to it to be notified of new content. You can also save a life by sharing this valuable content. Go ahead, save a life today. Thanks.